Blog Talk Radio. It's time for the Root and Roots Show on blogtalkradio.com. Now here's your host, Greg Rashid, bringing you the best in music, information, and history. Well, I try to do my best here. Yes, this is uh, Greg Rashid. I'm the host of the Root and Roots Show. Heard Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time if you're listening live. It's Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time live, but a lot of people listen on social media, on iTunes, on the blogtalkradio.com site and various other places. And my friends out in Colorado, I want to say hi to everyone out there, listen to the show on a regular basis on Saturday and Wednesday on KUHSDenverRadio.com. I want to thank Henry Archuleta for allowing me to be part of the great family, the growing family of KUHS. Just really enjoy being there. But we're going to start this off with a little music because this music I'm about to play is basically the theme of the show that I'm doing tonight. And this is the Robert Glasper Experiment featuring most deaf on vocals. And I'm playing black radio. So let's hear that on the Root and Root Show. Experiment Black Radio. Radio, sucker, never play me. Triple straight up, black down my bleach, it never fade me. They say he crazy, New York wisdom in the 80s, killer catch administration. Gangster renovation, born of isolation, Asian ill communication, Asian Marble, fiber actor, pestilential, microscopic soul, sonic remedy. Clinic right in the street, operator in the dark, surgery, a wounded heart. Come together, pill apart, pill apart, come together. Smoking on something good, praying for something better. From out of bed, never rocking for forever, ever, 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 ever. Forever, ever, ever. It's still a secret, even when you tell them dumb dummies. Hush money. Rent receipt and drug money, dick cold blooded, warm gun money. The chief rock a fuel injector, Zulu horse, Papa Dog Boogie, bay 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 You are rocking with the best. 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 You
best. It's a yes, you were rocking with the fresh. You were rocking with the chef. You're rocking with the fresh. You were rocking with the fresh. Now you were rocking with the chef. You're rocking with the fresh. You were rocking with the fresh. You're rocking with the best. You're rocking with the best. You were rocking with the best. Now you were rocking with the best. You were rocking with the best. You were rocking with the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tonight, we're going to play some music, I mean music, some uh, programs from the 40s and 50s of old-time radio. And I'm doing this because the last couple of shows I did, um, and they were Halloween-based shows, I did old-time radio and got a tremendous response about those shows. So I decided I'm going to do it again. But this time, I'm featuring old-time radio of that era, the golden age of radio, with black performers, black entertainers, because we were there. African Americans were there at the time, and it was a struggle. But we did have shows, and we did entertain folks, and it was, you know. So you're going to get ideas what this was all about. And I'm starting it off with a show that actually was only played to service uh, folks in the military, to the military overseas during World War II. And primarily African American soldiers at that time, but but actually all soldiers got to hear this show, and it's called Jubilee. 
And years later, they finally released these shows so everyone could hear them. But initially, they were on radio, but only for radio for soldiers who were fighting in World War II. So I'm going to start this with Jubilee. And this features Count Basie, Eddie Rochester Anderson, and so many other, uh, Jimmy Rushing, so many other folks on here. I hope you enjoy this. So let's hear the Jubilee Show on the Root and Root Show. Hiya, Jax. Give us some skin. It's Jubilee. more tooty than fruity? Do you feel more olive than pimento? Well, then latch on to this glory train because tonight we're going to have ourselves a ball. Leading off the Grace Note Parade is the original Mr. Five by Five, Jimmy Rushing, Thelma Carpenter, Eddie Rochester Anderson, Count Basie and his fine men with Buddy Rich on drums, and Saxman Illinois Jacket. And here's your master of ceremonies, as nice a group of men as you've ever met, Ernie Bubbles Whitman. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Men are really going to peel the fuzz off your avocado tonight. But before the joint gets jumping, I want to acknowledge some mail from the following cats. Charlie Fitzgerald, Walter Green, George Bowman, Charlie Tinch, L.C. Tillman, Bill Last Two, and the rest of the groovy gusses at 980. Thanks for your jots, men. The pulp is about to be pulsated your way, because here's a count of Basie himself and his solid group flinging it at you with Dinah!
you count. That was bouncy as a big ball of jelly. And just soon about the fields left out, Jubilee says hello to all cats who hail from the reef-bound coast of Maine to the dewy cliffs of Sunset Boulevard. Quote, hello cats, unquote. Now we turn to... Uh, just a minute here. Somebody must have lost a barrage balloon. <laughs> what, what do you want, fat stuff? Quiet, butterball, before I spread you out on a sandwich. Well, it's Mr. Five by Five, Jimmy Russian. Well, Jim, I must say, you're looking very, very good these days. I am? Yes, so round, so firm, so fully packed. <laughs> Listen, I bet I'm not as heavy as you are. Huh? How much did you weigh the last time you got on the scale? The last time I got on the scale? Yes. What did the little white card say? Nothing. Just came out and said, hey, get off. This is ridiculous. <laughs> but tell me, Jimmy, how about yourself? What do you weigh? I don't know exactly. This morning I went into the bathroom and jumped on the scale. You jumped on the scales? Bathroom scales? What happened? Now I live in the cellar. <laughs> well, Jimmy, we've got a lot of requests for you to sing this week. What have you got in mind for the cats? Oh, I'd like to sing, Baby Want to Please Come Home. Well, proceed, James. Solid proceed. Won't you please come home? You left your daddy all alone. I have tried in vain, never no more to call your name. When you left, you broke my heart. But that would never make us part. Every hour in the day, you can hear me say, Baby, won't you please come home? We need loving. Baby, won't you hurry home? Baby, won't you please come home? Left your little daddy all alone I have tried in vain never no more to call your name when you left you broke your daddy's heart but that would never make us part every hour in the day you can hear your daddy say, oh, babe, won't you please come on home? Daddy need love and baby, won't you please come home? That was as moppy as a G.I. broom. When it comes to zoots that really voot, there's nothing zooter or vooter than the famous Pacey Boogie.
Brown, thank you. Those eight beats trickle off your nimble fingers like groovy gravy off a hep duck's back. Hot horn is in your death. And now, man, our next guest is a fellow you all know. But all I can say is that he's tops in his field since Jack Benny's Maxwell had fenders. Here he is, Eddie Anderson, better known as Rochester. Well, Rock, what brings you to Jubilee? Ernie, I found a pair of legs down Vine Street, and they turned into the studio. So naturally, here I am. Now, hold on. Hold on, Rochester. Just because a pair of legs are pretty is no guarantee that the face and torso are likewise. Well, this is the way I figure. Yeah? If the reconnaissance is good, I send in my landing barges and take the beachhead. <laughs> well, maybe she's among those present. Why don't you cast your eyes over all the chicks in the vicinity? That might take considerable time. How come? Well, the way I do it, the average chick takes me about two minutes to cast. <laughs> but I know where she is, Ernie. Huh? She's standing right over there. Oh, that's Thelma Carpenter. Would you like to say hello to her? I don't care how it starts. I'm more interested in the rest of the campaign. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll call over. Oh, Thelma, come over here. What do you want, Ernie? A fellow here wants to meet you. Rochester, this is Thelma Carpenter. Thelma? What a beautiful word. Do you like it? There's only two other words I like better. What are they? Yes, Rochester. <laughs> you know, Thelma, I followed you down here tonight. Didn't you hear me holler at you at the corner? Oh, is that you? I thought somebody's brakes were screeching. <laughs> that settles it. I gotta get my howl relined. Honey, I think you and I could make beautiful music You? Sure I'm a big man in this town I got a home in Beverly Hills A swimming pool An automobile Money in the bank And plenty of clothes All that is yours? Well, it ain't exactly mine It belongs to my valet, Mr. Benny well, The way I heard it, Rochester You are Mr. Benny's valet Propaganda Honest, honey, I really am a big shot. Just look at this expensive cigar I'm smoking. Yes, it sure is a fine-looking cigar. It sure is, and who knows? The other half might have been smoked by a millionaire. <laughs> no kidding, sugar. You and I could hit it off swell together. What do you say? How about letting me feather your nest? Get away from me, Mr. Wolf. You're barking up the wrong hen house. I'm serious. I'm serious, Thelma. How about going out with me tonight? Well, Rochester, I'll go out with you. But first you have to promise me a few things. Why, sure, honey. Anything you want. Well, I'll have to be home by 10 o'clock. Uh-huh. And you mustn't park in any dark places. Uh-huh. And you mustn't try to hug me, squeeze me, or kiss me. Uh-huh. You promise now? Uh-huh. Okay. I'll see you tonight at 8 o'clock. Goodbye. Goodbye. They'll never learn, will they? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Rochester, and come back to Jubilee soon again. And Thelma, you stick around. You're not getting away without saying something for the boys. The Mellow Men at 714 are a mighty hep group. Judging from their letters, and they say they like their solid salad strictly on the potato side. And when it comes to potato salad, Count Basie is a fellow with a parsley. 
Count, come over here a minute. Yes, Ernie. Count, before you put the mayonnaise on the next order, I'd like to ask you something. What is it? I was just wondering. I asked uh, Artie Shaw last week if he needed a singer for his band. You don't happen to need one, do you? Well, I'm always in the market for a good singer, Ernie. Who have you got in mind? Me? You? Yeah. Well, I haven't got enough points for all that meat. <laughs> well, I'll admit I'm a little stout, but I really can make the joint jump. Jump? Brother, you can make it crumble. <laughs> oh, me, nobody wants me, but I'm not going to give up. I'm going to sing with somebody's orchestra, even if it's Phil Spitalny. <laughs> well, Count, you and Illinois Jacket have been riffing all afternoon. How about letting us in on the secret? Okay, Ernie. It's a little bit of business called a rockabye bassy. Hey! 
man's jacket. You and your sacks are welcome in Hot Horn Hall any time. Now, uh, Thelma Carpenter. Yes, Ernie? What are you going to sing for the boys? Well, Ernie, what do you think they'd like? Oh, anything, sugar. Anything you do be swell. And that comes straight, <laughs> comes straight on the beam right from Sergeant Dijon. T-5 Mitchell, Walter Reeves, J.R. Huddleston, and J.P. White at 948. And from a different jurisdiction, Willie Washburn, Percy Moore, Frank Jacobs, Milton Thomas, and Corporal Ray White are all craving the same cup of sugar. Well, for all the fellas everywhere, I'd like to sing Call Me Down. Well, heave out with that hunk of hot, sister. Heave out.
I would meet you at a secret rendezvous, and I'd find the paradise that lies deep in your eyes. Thelma Carboner. Men, the battered old timepiece has crept around to the you-know-what position, but we still have time for some peanuts and popcorn before the big show ends. So many of you have written in for Count Basie to play his theme song all the way through that it occurred to us to ask him. Count, how about it? Sure, Annie. The boys and I will be glad to play the one o'clock jump from Vamp Dakota and hope you like it, man. Oh, yeah. Thank you. 
Count Basie. That notch is a permanent notch on my pearl-handled gun of mighty fine. That's swell, Ernie. You've certainly enjoyed being on Jubilee for the past four weeks. Count, I understand you're leaving tonight and heading east. That's right, Ernie, but we'll be back, and we're looking forward for another session here on Jubilee. Oh, that's good enough for us, Count. Good luck, old boy, good luck. Now a word to the wives from Motto Otto, otherwise known as Rhyming Rochester. There once was a soldier named Otto who made up this very fine motto. Take care of your stuff, don't treat it rough. That motto proves Otto, not Blotto. <laughs> and American supply lines are the longest in the world. And if you take care of your equipment, it'll take care of you. Well, men, the last bubble on this hot pot of stew is about to bingo itself into the side pocket. And we're ready to stash the frame on the pad. Until we take up where we left off next week and every week, this is Ernie. I'd love to start chirping, but I can't find a chick Whitman saying from the bottom of my big fat heart, so long and good luck. Forces Radio Service. Chester Anderson. Uh, also, we had on there Thelma Carpenter, Jimmy, Mr. 5 by 5 Rushing, Buddy Rich, and so many other folks. And that was only, as again, as I said at the beginning of the show, that was broadcast only to service folks in the Pacific and also in Europe during World War II, and also those who were in bases in the U.S. But after the war, many years later, those those tapes of those shows were found and broadcast like you're hearing right now on this show. So it was really great because there's like a ton of just entertainers on there. Just some of the shows you listen to, you have um, actors who are reciting scenes from their movies, a little bit of everything. Joe Lewis is on them, some other boxers and um, sports figures in the area on there. Really just a great, great show. I'll be playing some more of those sometime. And I hope you enjoy those on the Root and Root Show. And if you're just tuning in, again, my name is Greg Rashid. I'm the host of the Root and Root Show. And tonight we're doing old-time radio, but our emphasis is on African-American entertainers and stars of that era on these shows. And I'm going to do another show that was basically primarily geared to everyone, actually, but it was out in New York City. And it was geared to just helping to end the segregation issue. And I'm 
talking about a show called A New World of Coming. And this one is about, as they said, Negro fascism, and this is from 1945. So I want you to hear this, because they're talking about segregation at that time in the 40s and all. And some of the things you hear on this show, as well as a number, another show I'll be playing a little later, are relevant to today, believe it or not. Some things, don't, unfortunately, some things in this world don't really change, and it's just really something. But we're going to play right now. A new world are coming, and we're going to play the episode titled Negro Fascism. So let's hear that on the Root and Root Show. With the sweep and fury of the resurrection... There's a new world a-coming. Today and every Sunday at this hour, WMCA, in cooperation with the Citywide Citizens Committee on Harlem, brings you a series of vivid programs dramatizing the inner meaning of Negro life, based on the prize-winning bestseller... New World of Coming by the young Negro author Roy Otley, starring Canada Lee and the star of Carmen Jones, Miss Muriel Smith. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, may we introduce Canada Lee, who returns today as narrator, Mr. Lee. Thank you. The Negro may not be able to predict his future, but he knows what he wants. Liberty and peace and an enriched life free of want, oppression, violence, and prescription. In a word, he wants democracy cleansed and refreshed. Face today with fascism or democracy. Negro's choice is simple. He's against fascism, both at home and abroad. When right-thinking people appease fascist-minded elements, the Negro's morale is jolted. For he knows well there are those who would rather lose the war, even their own freedom, than see democracy triumph. And Nazi agents attempt to exploit the weakness in our democracy. Adolf Hitler himself set the pattern. Back in the spring of 1932, Hitler entertained a Georgia-born Negro named Milton Wright at a lavish party in the fashionable Europa Hotel. The Negro, who was a student at Heidelberg University is today a professor at Wilberforce University. Hitler and Mr. Wright were seated off in a corner away from the crowd, talking quietly. You tell me that in America, Negroes are doctors, lawyers, writers, and artists. But I tell you that in your decaying democracy, Negroes don't even vote. <laughs> He's a Hitler. That's true in some states, Herr Hitler, but not all of them. Ah, Negroes must be definitely third-class peoples to allow whites to lynch them and beat them, segregate them, without even rising up against them. Even then, Hitler was attempting to divide the American people. For the Nazis know that the problem of color is 
crucial. But Negroes are not hoodwinked by Hitler's nonsense about races. They know that America stands as a symbol of freedom. But the loss of this symbol will mean the loss of hope for white and black alike. This attitude was recently expressed by Alice Godwin, a Harlem schoolgirl, who was asked by her teacher to write a composition on what the war meant to her. I've been told that this war is the war for liberty, for everybody. This is the reason this war is important to me. It is with great fear that I consider my future under the heels of Hitler. He has said, hasn't he, that I'm only half a human creature. To fight against this, I shall be glad to wear old shoes, not in style. These things are very little compared to the suffering in a world under Hitler. Each little sacrifice I make, I make joyously. It is for a new world without Hitler or Hitler. Isn't it? Men, white or black, do not rally to slogans unless they have concrete meanings. Negroes want assurances that the loud talk about democracy includes them. They need assurances desperately. Without them, they will lose faith. So discouraged have some Negroes become that a dangerous don't-care attitude is developing throughout the country. This finds expression in an ominous sort of way in a place like Harlem. One Sunday evening last summer, Harlem's streets seemed more crowded than ever. The people looked hot and irritable. Two men stood before a bar in a Lenox Avenue tavern. They looked through the window at the life outside. There was nothing unusual about this except that, well, somehow the atmosphere seemed tense, expectant. Yes, Stump. That's all right, but I don't see where the government's doing nothing to help the lawyers of us folks. Well, we're beginning to get jobs since the war, ain't we, bigger? Well, if you ask me, I said them white folks is going to be tough long as you stay black. Just last week, I was reading where a Negro army nurse was getting on a bus in Alabama, and a white driver took his fist and beat her. What? Yeah, and just because she wouldn't get up and give a seat up to somebody. Southern chivalry, they call it. Now, now I ask you... Is that any way to treat people? Make you feel like you was living with them Nazis? Hello, Danny. Don't mind my coming over this way. My name's Tom Elkins. I'm Hickenbottom. They call me Stump for short. This is Biggie. What you say, man? I know where. Just heard what you was laying down, and them's my sentiments. I always say white folks will be white folks. We are the most loyal race in this country. We're always getting kicked around. Even a soldier. Huh. You sure told that right. Some think this is a white folks' country. That's the reason. Well, it don't sound right to me. Didn't we help build this country? But is you sharing in it after knocking yourself out every day? Tell me that. If you ask me, I says this is a white man's war. Let the white folks kill each other. 
It ain't our mess. Yeah, Negroes is getting killed, too. Buying war bonds and working in factories and all that. Yeah, but do it make sense? You're going to fight for the white folks' stuff. Man, you always talk like a trick. Hey, man, hey, man. man what's the matter? Calm down, man. What's man, the Harlem's on fire. Man, folks is out there running amok. Hey, what's that? Man, they're breaking windows and everything. What? Man, a white cop shot a colored soldier. Yeah? That's what they say. Well, what do you say? Barbershops, beauty parlors, basements and tenements. Raging crowds swept through the street, intent upon avenging the killing of a soldier. Before the night was over, thousands of dollars in property were destroyed. Negroes, too, were among those who suffered damage in property. Many were injured. Now, the fact of the incident was that, actually, no soldier had been killed. At first glance, the incident seemed insufficient cause for hundreds of people to riot, as perhaps it was if it stood alone. But the rumor furnished the spark which awakened the Negro's deep-seated sense of wrong, denial and frustration, and even memories of injustices in the Army and in the South. These smoldering resentments against racial discrimination and violence were set ablaze. The grim truth is, Negroes are feeling keenly the insecurity of their status. There were white men, too, who believed that the Negro was entitled to equality. In the years before the Civil War, thousands of white men risked their lives to bring this about. One of these men was William Lloyd Garrison, famous anti-slavery leader. So aggressively did he raise the banners of them that he was hunted down like a mad dog. On one occasion, hoodlums roamed the streets of New York looking for Garrison because he'd been advertised as a speaker at an anti-slavery meeting in the Chatham Square Chapel. The mob descended on the hall, but found the place dark. Then its members stormed through the streets, shouting their hatred. As it happened, Garrison was not present at the meeting. He had chosen instead to witness the mob at close hand. For hours, he roamed the streets with them. While doing this, he witnessed a heartening display of courage by an old Negro, which made him reaffirm his famous declaration for the rights and freedom of human beings. Let Garrison tell you about it. Last night, I noticed an old Negro who apparently had worked later than usual emerge from a lighted store. Adjusting my spectacles, I could see him in the distance as he slowly climbed steps. Uh, good night, sir. Good night, John. I'll close up now. You've put in a long day. Yes, sir. Good night, sir. I'll take that uh, shortcut across the square and I'll be home in no time. As he made his way along the dimly lit street, he stopped suddenly. He must have heard the howling mob. He thought, perhaps. Mm, must be them youngins raising the force. He walked on slowly, but as he drew closer, 
He has. Are we terribly to look on and see this most dangerous doctrine of freedom for Negroes extend itself through our country? Shall we not crush those bold and mad men who talk nonsense about all men are created free and equal? Ah, look over there at old Uncle Tom coming along there. Look, should he be your equal? Come on over here, drag him over here. Let's hear what he's got. All right, bring him up here. All right, gentlemen, we shall hear from the Negro himself why he should be our equal. <laughs> All right, now, speak up, Tom. I am called upon to make a speech. You know that I am a poor, ignorant man, not used to making speeches. But I have heard of the Declaration of Independence. I have read the Bible. The Declaration says all men are created equal. And the Bible says God has made us all of one blood. And I think then that we are entitled to good treatment, that it is wrong to hold men in slavery. And let let me go. could be as harsh as truth and as uncompromising as justice. I would never think or speak or write with moderation. Never. Tell a man whose house is on fire to give a moderate alarm. Tell him to moderately rescue his wife from attack. Tell the mother to gradually extricate her babe from fire. Do not urge me to use moderation in the cause of human rights. We're now engaged in a life-and-death struggle with ruthless foes. Negroes, as well as colored people elsewhere, must be galvanized into decisive action on the side of democracy. This cannot be done if people do not have the assurance of the better world to come. For Negroes, like all people, want to win the war, but they also want to win the peace. Should the Nazis surrender tomorrow, many Negroes say... This might only be a brief interlude of peace. Unless we act without reservation to make democracy a reality. Sumner Wells, former Undersecretary of State, has a word for it. Victory must bring the liberation of all peoples. Discrimination between peoples because of their race, creed, or color must be abolished. Millions of black, brown, and 
yellow peoples still do not believe that we, the American people, believe in or intend to put in effect a living democracy for all once the danger to white people has passed. This fact accounts for the Negro's aggressive attitude today. Quite recently, a Negro in the South stood before a gas station talking with some white people. Perhaps he bragged a little. Well, uh, <clears throat> I, I done registered and I expect to be called soon. <clears throat> that Hitler thinks he can whip anybody. I'm going to deliver him right here to the White House. You tell him, boy. You tell him. <laughs> yeah. The white bystanders applauded. For it all had a nice patriotic sound. And there's no doubt that he was passionately patriotic. But the faces of these people visibly changed when he gave voice to his inner hopes. And when I gets back, I'm going to fight for some rights over here. typical attitude is that displayed by some Negro soldiers. Following a wave of brutal acts by white civilians against Negro soldiers in the South, one of these boys wrote me a letter. Listen to what he had to say. Sometimes I feel very proud of being a member of this big, huge army, fighting for democracy for everybody, until I pick up a paper and see where a Negro soldier has been kicked around, and it makes me feel like, what am I doing here in the army? There's nothing mystical about the aggressive attitude of Negroes. The slogans of democracy have real meaning to them. Negroes feel that the day for just talking is past. They know, too, that Americans can be recharged with progressive vitality. In spite of vocal opposition, Negroes have faith. When they sing, On Solid Rock I Stand, this is no illusion. For the foundation of their hopes stem directly from the nation's great promises. Liberty and equality for all. Song is a common language. A lad named Benny Benjamin discovered this in an odd sort of way. You see, for a long time, Ben had been thinking about the war against fascism and, and its meaning to peoples everywhere. He got to talking to two friends about it. Well, boys, looks like I'll be in the Army soon. <laughs> well, me and Sal expect to be going soon, too. Yeah, looks like our songwriting days are over. You know, Eddie, I've been thinking. Seems to me we ought to make one last, write one last song. The three of us. You, Sal, Eddie, and me. Something important. Something, something about the war. Sounds okay to me. How about you, Eddie? No, it's okay with me, but why about war? And people want to escape. You know, they want pretty stuff about the moon, love, and flowers and such. Same old stuff. Uh-uh. People need hope in war. Everybody's got a stake in this fight. Now, I'm a Negro, and I can't help feeling that the Negro in America can't be safe while millions of white men abroad are enslaved by Nazis. People, all kinds of people, need hope as never before. <laughs> you know, you ought to get a soapbox, Brent. <laughs> I'm serious, guys. I know we ain't much on this heavy stuff. 
Most of the stuff we've done has been pretty light. Well, what about the three of us doing something solid before we break into khaki? Uh, love in war? Hope in war. That's the idea. Well, what are we waiting for? Together, these lads found a common medium to express a common hope. After many days of tearing up sheets, black coffee, and long nights, a song was born. It was to become one of the biggest popular hits of the season. They took it over to Muriel Smith. She wasn't famous then as she is today. Now everyone knows her as Carmen Jones. Benny Benjamin was proud when he said to her, Well, Muriel, here it is. The latest. We think it's our best tune. You mean the most important? When the lights go on again, all over the world, by Benny Benjamin, Eddie Siler, and Saul Marcus. Boys, that's terrific. the world, and 
the boys a home again. All over the world. And rain or snow is all that will fall from the skies above. A kiss won't mean goodbye. But hello to love. When the lights go on again, all over the world, and the ships will sail again, all over the world, then we'll have time for things like wedding rings and Benjamin is a soldier today, fighting somewhere on the front lines for the extension of democracy for everybody. From the money he received in royalties, he bought a stake in democracy. $5,000 worth of war bonds. Oh, by the way, are you buying war bonds? been listening to New World A-Coming, the second in a series of programs devoted to the Negro's contribution to American life. Featured in today's broadcast was Mr. Canada Lee, distinguished American actor, and Miss Muriel Smith, star of Carmen Jones. We invite you to be with us again next Sunday at three past three, when New World A-Coming will have as its guest Lee Whipper, star of the film The Oxbow Incident. New World A-Coming is written by Roy Otley and is based upon Mr. Otley's book by the same name. The program is produced and directed by Mitchell Grayson. John Velasco assisted. Music by John Gart was conducted by Don Bryan. The theme song was composed by Duke Ellington. Members of the cast included Ralph Bell, Clarence Foster, Doris Block, P.J. Sidney, Jimmy Wright, Richard Huey, Fred Carter, Will Gear, Maurice Ellis, Randy Eccles, and Muriel Smith. This was a public service feature of WMCA. Lee James speaking. And that was New World Coming, Negro Fascism. And that was, I said 1945, actually it was March 12, 1944. And you see the, you know, they're talking about, this is at the peak of World War II. And you're fighting fascism in Europe and also in uh, Italy as well as Japan. But you have fascism going on in the United States, and the soldiers who are African-Americans were talking about, as you see in the uh, in that dramatization there. And I hope you enjoyed that. That show was very popular at that time. It came on every Sunday. It came out of uh, New York, but it was eventually broadcast everywhere, and it was really... Just told the story, the current story at the time of what was going on with African Americans in this country and the need for change because they knew that a new world was a coming. So I hope you enjoyed that on the Root and Root Show. Now I'm going into a different world 
And it's very important I do this. I'm going to do one of these days. I'm going to do a longer show about this show because it's important. It's a very important show that is kind of it's ignored in the sense that people don't want to really deal with it based on the racism that comes out of this show. But without this show, what you know is comedies that you see on television, situation comedies in particular, come from this show, as well as some soap operas, dramas and all, come from this show. And I'm talking about the one and only infamous Amos and Andy, a show that was created by Friedman Gosden and Charles Carell, two white actors who... Um, Use what they thought were African-American dialects to do these shows. And these shows were huge. I mean, they were so popular. Probably the Amos and Ann is probably the most popular show on radio. And it was the most popular, one of the most popular shows in the two years that it ran on television in the early 50s. But it's a show now that um, people don't really want to talk about, but I'll talk about it because it's... It's you know you can't you know you can't talk about entertainment you can't talk about history of African Americans in this country and ignore Amos and Andy and its impact not only as far as in the world of radio and television but and also movies because they did do one movie in blackface but also the impact of how it affected our community because believe it or not there were a lot of African Americans at that time who loved Amos and Andy which is a story in itself, and I'm not going to get into a whole diatribe about that show this evening, except because I'm going to do a whole show on it. I want, I want to get an author of a book about Amos Andy on here, and I've been trying for, it's been two years now to try to get her on here, but I'm eventually going to do that because it's very important to know about this show. But I'm playing a show from Amos Andy, 1944, and this one is about, it's called Looking for Madam Queen, and as I said, Gosden and Freeman, they are, Freeman Gosden and Charles Carell, they are two white actors, and they're doing what they think is black dialect. But in the show, you do have actual African-American actors in it, and you will hear some of them in there, but you'll hear folks you can obviously say, you know, there's no way that's a, that's a black person there. But I want you to hear this. And I know some of you will be upset and don't want you, you might turn off your listening device, and I don't want to hear Amos and Andy, but it's key that you listen to the show because it was huge. It was huge in this country. So let's hear Amos and Andy, 1944. We're going to do Looking for Madam Queen on the Root and Root Show. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Amos and Andy Show. If you've been reading the classified ad section in some of the big daily newspapers this past week, you may have come across an ad in the personal column which revealed that Andrew H. Brown is very anxious to establish contact with one Madam Queen. Andy has been unsuccessful in his search. Right now, he's in his office unloading his troubles to his close friend, Amos. Well, I'm sorry I couldn't get here no sooner. What's on your mind, Andy? Sit down, Amos. I gotta talk to somebody. And you as the one. Yeah, I ain't seen you all week. Uh, what's the matter? I gotta find her. Uh, find who? Amos, I gotta find Madam Queen. 
Madame Queen? Yeah. You ain't seen her for six, eight years, did you? That's right. Yeah, the last time you heard from her is when she sued you for breach of promise. Yeah, that's right. But, Amos, this time it means something. Yeah, I guess that old saying is true that love has its ups and downs, but an old flame never dies. Is that it? Well, all I know is when I met Madam Queen, that flame was like a 200-watt bulb. <laughs> After a while, it flickered down to 100 watts, and before I know it, the whole thing got short-circuited. <laughs> Well, how come all of a sudden, out of a clear Well, let me tell you the whole story. And listen, Amos, promise you ain't going to tell this to nobody. Oh, I ain't going to say nothing. Well, Amos, years ago, when I was in love with Madam Queen, we was talking about getting married. And she made me save every cent I could and invest it. Oh, yeah, I remember something about that, yeah. Yeah, you see, we was going to get ourselves a love nest. The whole thing mounted to a little over $400. And I took the money and invested it with the bond and realty investment company. Oh, yeah, I know now. And that whole thing went bad, didn't it? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. But here's some news. Amos I is a rich man. A uh, rich? Uh, what you got there? Here's a letter from the company. It say that they is done reorganized and that the former stockholders can get out their money plus the interest and dividends. And look at this line right here. It say your holdings in our company right now mount to six hundred dollars. Six hundred dollars, and you can get that money, huh? But here's the catch. Yeah. It's in the last paragraph. <laughs> he say here, we note that your stock is jointly registered in the names of yourself and one Madam Queen. Uh huh. Therefore, the application for release of these funds to you must be signed by both parties. Oh, now I see. Yeah, that is the situation you was in there. Yeah, all these business letters is the same. The first part tells you what you're going to get, and the second part locks it up so you can't get it. <laughs> uh, tell me this, has you got any idea where Madam Queen is? Well, now that's the trouble. I can't find her. Hey, wait a minute. There's Gabby Gibson across the street now. See him over there talking to that fella? Oh, yeah. I ain't seen him for years. Do he still talk as much as he used to? Oh, he talked more than he ever used to. But he's helped me with the case, though. Yeah, what's Gabby doing about it? Well, you see, he is figuring out from the law standpoint how I can get around the Madam Queen's signature thing. Yeah, here he come now. Yeah, he say it was going to drop in. Maybe he got the whole thing figured out. I sure hope he got a loophole for me. Hey, he ain't changed a bit, is he? Come in. Uh, hello there, Gabby. Oh, hello there, gentlemen. Hello, gentlemen. Well, Amos. Hello, Amos. Glad to see you. Glad to see you. Yeah. How is you? I ain't seen you for a long time. Oh, I was fine, thank you. Yes, indeed. Very fine, Amos. 100%. I'm feeling 100%. Yeah. Uh, listen, Gabby. Listen here. Tell me the news, will you? Is you done figured out if it's all right for me to get that money by me signing Madam Queen's signature? Well, Andy, I got the whole thing figured out for you. The whole thing. I done found a way. I really done found a way. That's what it is. Nothing to it. Nothing to worry about. Now, you know the way Madam Queen writes her name. You done see that. You done see that yourself. You know her handwriting. You know that. All you got to do is not say nothing to nobody. Not a word to nobody. Just pick out the place where her name go. Just pick out the place. Get yourself some pen and ink, some good black ink. And then you sign Madam Queen. Write down Madam Queen. Be sure and spell it right. And then you can get the money. The company going to pay you. They going to hand you the cash. It's all yours. All yours. There's only one thing. One little thing about it. You might go to jail. <laughs> Yeah, that show took a bad turn there all of a sudden, didn't it? 
Yeah, sure did. Well, listen, Gabby, suppose I never finds Madam Queen and can't get her signature. Did that mean that the company going to keep the money? Now, wait a minute, Andy. Wait a minute now. That money belongs to you. That is your money. That money does not belong to the company. Not to the company, but to you. Don't forget, you put the money in. You're the one to put the money in. You invest the money. Nobody can take it out. Nobody. They can't take it out because the money is yours. So long as the money is yours and all yours, but they ain't going to give it to you. That, uh, that's the law, huh? Oh, that's the law as I know it. As I know it. Oh, I've been working on your case, Mr. Andy. I've been really working on your case. Yeah, Andy, I think you has just got to find Madam Queen. That's the only way. Yeah, you're right. I got to find her. Now, listen, Amos, whatever you do, don't say nothing to the kingfish about this money. Because he'd have eight companies organized within an hour. Oh, I promise you, I ain't going to say nothing. And, Gabby, don't you say nothing about this, neither. Oh, I ain't going to say nothing, Andy. Not a word for me, not a word. I wouldn't tell a soul. I wouldn't even tell my closest friend, not my closest friend. Because I ain't the talking type. <laughs> Come in, come in. Oh, excuse me, Brother Kingfish, but there's a man out here. Uh, what kind of a man is it, Lightning? Do he look like a bill collector or something? Uh, yes, uh, he looks exactly like a bill collector, all right. Uh, the man is looking for Mr. Andy, though, not you. I told him that you was the only one here. Oh, so Andy's in trouble, huh? Uh, send the man in. Uh, right this way, mister. Come in, come in. Uh, pardon me, I came to see Mr. Andrew H. Brown. I uh, have this lodge hall as addre- his address. Do you know where I can find Mr. Brown? Uh, well, I don't know him very well. Uh, of course, any money deals Mr. Brown gets messed up in, I don't have nothing to do with. Uh, what do you want to see him about? It's about a money matter, all right. Uh, he don't hang around here very much no more. Uh, sometimes he don't get around here for two, three years at a time. <laughs> but you know Mr. Brown? Well, it's, uh, he's just a casualty acquaintance, that's what he is. <laughs> you see, as the head of the lodge, uh, I have got a hobnob with the riffraff, same as anybody else, you uh-huh. see what I mean? Well, uh, this matter with Mr. Brown involves $600. $600? That's right. Tell you the truth, Mr., I don't even know the man. <laughs> well, of course, until Mr. Brown gets this other signature, we can't give him the $600. Yeah, well, like I say, uh... Oh, excuse me, mister. The acoustics in this room ain't good for my hearing here. <laughs> Did you say give him $600? Yes, that's right. Oh, Andy Brown. That's my partner. Your partner? <laughs> yeah. I thought you said you just knew him casually. Yeah, well, uh, I mean about that. Uh, <laughs> He's a silent partner. That's what I mean. <laughs> You know how it is with them silent partners. Sometimes they're so silent they don't even come around. Oh, yes, sir. Well, as soon as you see him, you tell him that the man was here from the Bond and Realty Investment Company. We're still waiting for Madam Queen's signature. And as soon as we have it, we can give Mr. Brown the $600. Madam Queen's signature? Uh, oh, yeah, yes. I'll tell him, sir. Yeah. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's why Andy's looking for Madam Queen. Now, if the old kingfish could find out where she is first and then give Andy that information for 50 percent, mm-hmm, I think I got something. Yeah.
Well, that sounds very interesting, Kingfish. Oh, uh, yeah, Henry. I know that Andy ain't found Madam Queen yet. And I'll cut you in on the deal if you'll just give me her last note address off of the insurance policy that she had with you. Well, here's the policy right here. Yeah, now let me see it here. Uh, ah, uh, here it is right here. 1492 South Flower Avenue, Trenton, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Henry, I is off to Trenton. Now listen. Don't let Andy know that I is looking for her. Oh, no, not a word for me. Now, listen, uh, i got to get to Trenton, Henry, as fast as I can. Let me have $3, will you? Now, Kingfish, I ain't got it. We're having a dinner party at my house tomorrow night, and my funds are all tied up in a pot roast. <laughs> yeah, well, i got to get the money someplace. Uh, uh, wait, I know what I'll do. I'll borrow it from Andy. From Andy? Kingfish, do you think that's the right thing to do under the circumstances? Well, what do you mean? Well, after all, when you was going to hit a man over the head with a blackjack, you don't ask him to take off his hat. Oh, but this is an emergency, Henry. I was going to borrow this money from Andy. Well, Kingfish, having discovered Madam Queen's last known address, is on his way over to Andy's to borrow the fare to Trenton. Andy, in the meantime, is in his office poring over some of the answers to the ads he had in the paper. Amos is with him. Oh, you got some answers to your ads in the newspaper already, huh, Andy? Yeah, I just come back from the post office. Most of them look like phonies to me. Listen to this one. Yeah, read it. Dear Box 27, I knew a Madam Quinn... About ten years ago in Biloxi, Mississippi. She must be the one you was looking for. Please send reward. Signed, Frank Wilson. <laughs> yeah, that one's nothing. No, here's one on a postcard. Dear Box 27, if you really want to find Madam Queen, why don't you drop in at Joe's Oyster House? Everybody eats at Joe's. Open all night. <laughs> yeah, that ain't much help. Uh, what's the next one? Well, here's a letter here. Hmm, postmark Trenton, New Jersey. Dear Box 27, I am positive I can lead you to the whereabouts of Madam Queen. Signed, Mrs. Ralph Rogers, 1492 South Flower Avenue, Trenton, New Jersey. Say, Amos, that really sounds like something there, don't it? Yeah, she knows what she's talking about. I guarantee you that one ain't no phony. Amos, I is going to Trenton. Yeah, I think you're doing the right thing. Yeah, listen, lend me about $3, will you? <laughs> well, Andy, I, I'd be glad to, but I tell you the truth, I clear, I just ain't got it. Yeah, well, I know you would if you had it. I certainly would. Yeah, well, i got to get the money somewhere get there. Hey, wait a minute. Here come the kingfish across the street. <laughs> oh, boy. I'll give him a build-up to the sky and get the money from him. Yeah, well, I'll get going then. Yeah. Uh, hiya, kingfish. Come in, come well, in. Well, hello there, Amos. Uh, hi, Andy, old pal. Yeah. Well, I'll leave you two fellas together. I'll get to work. So long. So long. So, so long. long, Amos. So long. Kingfish, I was glad to see you. See him to you. Oh, yeah. You is one of the greatest friends I got. One of the greatest? The greatest? Yeah. <laughs> Like the man say once, if you can go through life and get one good friend, you is lucky. And you is that friend. Oh, I is the closest one in the world to you, Andy. And one thing about us. When one of us goes to the other one for something, we never turn each other down. 
Ah, well, look how long we've known each other. Uh, if you can't help a friend, who can you help? Uh, well, we is almost like brothers. No, closer than brothers. We is like sisters. You're right. Where would you find the love and friendship and affection that I got for you with two brothers? Oh, it's a beautiful thing, Andy. Uh, it's touching, all right. Now, Kingfish, what I want to ask you is this. By the way, Andy, uh, will you let me have three dollars? Yeah. I... <laughs> now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's what I was going to ask you. It couldn't have been. That's exactly what I was going to ask you. Well, I asked you first. But it was my turn to talk. Now, don't give me no argument, brother. <laughs> now, listen, you chiseler. Uh, ain't nobody no bigger chiseler than you is. Oh, there ain't, huh? You heard me. Uh, we sure forgot that brother stuff. <laughs> listen, Andy, will you let me have $3? No, I ain't got it. Now, tell me this, what you want with $3? Uh, who, me? Well, you asked for it, didn't you? Well, I'm... Uh... Uh, well, what is that in your pocket, Kingfish? A railroad timetable? Oh, uh, where? Oh, uh... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, uh... I want to go on a little vacation, and uh, that, that's why I want to borrow the money. Vacation? Where are you going to go on a vacation for $3? Out on the fire escape? <laughs> oh, I thought I'd go out someplace inexpensive, like uh, the Grand Canyon. Mm. Uh, you know, they don't charge no admission there. See that big hole there? Get down in there. Can't nobody see you. Mm -hmm. Get away from the trouble and worries. Hide from all the people that bothers you. It's a restful hole in the ground, all right. <laughs> uh, I like a low spot. Yeah. Well, I need $3 for business reasons. Uh, listen, Andy, you need money, I need money. Let's be fair and face this thing 50-50. We'll pawn your watch. <laughs> what you mean, pawn my watch? This watch that I got has got a lot of sediment to it. And I ain't gonna put it in no pawn shop. What do you mean, sediment? Well, this watch was given to me as a Christmas gift. By who? Well, I used to go with two gals, and they both lived in the same apartment building, and they chipped in and bought me this watch. <laughs> look, look here. Look at the graving on the back of this. Look at that sediment on there, boy. Let me see your... To end, uh, I love you, Jane. Me too, Alice. Uh, crazy women. Now, listen. I got to get $3. Well, so is I. Well, ain't no sense of me wasting my time with you. I got a better idea. Goodbye. So long. Say hello to the Grand Canyon for me. Uh, Lightning, come here. Ah, uh, yes, uh, Brother Kingfish. Uh, you ain't got no watch or something like that, has you, Lightning? Uh, no, sir. I ain't never had no jewelry. Mm hmm <laughs> You know, Lightning, you look awful sick. Why don't you take that suit off and lay down on the couch and rest? <laughs> uh, I don't feel sick that I know, sir. Well, you were sick, all right. Ain't you tired and run down and weak? Uh, well, I most always use the live. I gonna start taking vitamin tablets. That's right. Uh, Lightning, I never see nobody look as bad as you does. Here, let me help you off with your coat. And I tell you what I'll do, Lightning. While you was laying here convalescing, I'll take your suit out and have it clean and pressed for you. Well, I done I had it pressed last night, Kingfish, under the mattress. 
Uh, well, you won't have it done right. Uh, get the pants off, too. But, uh, Kingsley, while I laying here on the couch without my suit on, I'm liable to catch my death of cold. Yeah, that's all the more reason for having your suit pressed. When you go to the hospital, you want to look nice and neat, don't you? Uh, yes, I never thought of that. Give me those pants, Lightning. All right, I'll be running along. You lay down there on the couch now and get your strength back. You got nothing to worry about. <laughs> Uh, Joe, uh, I got something different this time. Uh, how much can you give me on this suit? Uh, Kingfish, this is a new one. Uh, you ain't never had this in here before, is you? Uh, no, I ain't, Joe. Well, the seat is a little slick. Uh, this suit must fit you awful tight, Kingfish. Well, I just help another sick friend. Well, let me see. How much you want? Uh, how about, uh, six or seven dollars? I'll let you have three dollars on it. Well, that's what I figured we'd dick it down to. I'll take it. All right. Here you are. $3, and here's your ticket. Yeah, I'll pick this up uh, tonight or in the morning. I got to catch a train right away for Trenton. All right, Kingfish. Yeah, well, so long, Joe. Thank you. Hello? Honest Joe's pawn shop. Joe, this is Andy Brown. I got a watch for Christmas that looks like it's gold. If I bring it down there, will you let me have $3 on it? Well, you got to bring it down, Andy. If it's, if, if it's any good, I'll let you have 3 yeah, well, it's got some crazy graving on the back from a couple of silly gals, but you can scratch that off if you want to. Well, bring it down, Andy. Right away, because i got to catch the first bus to Trenton. What's going on over there, a convention? I wonder who that can be at the door. I'll just take a peek through the curtains here. Mmm, looks like a peddler. Oh, well. Uh, how do you do? Uh, my name is George Stevens. I am the kingfish of the Mystic Knights of the Sea. I don't need a thing, thank you. Good day. Oh, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, I am the head of the lodge. Well, I don't want to join nothing. Uh, well, listen, uh, uh, I want to talk to you about Madam Queen. Oh, Madam Queen. Come right in. Oh, uh, yeah, thank you. Nice place you got here. Yes, of course it's plain, but we must be satisfied with what we got. Yeah, I exactly the same way myself. I keep saying to my wife, I say, honey, if we just had a little more than we got now, I'd be perfectly satisfied. I tell her <laughs> But uh, getting back to Madam Queen, uh, what I want to find out... Did you know Madam Queen very well? Oh, sure. I know her when she run a beauty shop in Harlem. You see, Madam Queen and my wife have been friends for years. Oh, she's very nice. I like Madam Queen. Oh, sure, and the only reason that I come over here was to have a talk with you was to find out... Oh, excuse me, there's someone at the door. Oh, that's all right, that's all right. Take your time. I ain't no hurry. Uh, uh, hey, look through them curtains. Don't open that door. Don't open that door. Well, what's the matter? I, I just looked out the window. I know that man. You can't let him in. You can't let him in now. Oh, well, why not? What's the matter with him? Well, uh, to tell you the truth, lady, look here. I, 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 I don't want him to see me here. You don't want him to see you. Oh, uh, look here. Now, now, now don't, don't let him in. Uh, where can I hide? Well, why do you have to hide? Oh, uh, now, now, look here, listen. I, I'll, I'll explain everything to you. Uh -huh. You don't mind if I get behind the sofa, do you, and lay down on the floor? Well... Uh, and don't say nothing to him about me being here, because that'll mess up everything. Remember, now, I ain't here. I don't like this monkey business. I'm coming, I'm coming. Uh, how you do? Uh, I thought for a minute you wasn't home. Is you Mrs. Ralph Rogers? Uh, yes, I am. I is box 27. <laughs> <laughs> oh, box 27. 
Gavin, come in. Yeah, thank you. Oh, well, there's my dog. Uh, Bruno, come on in the house now. Come on. That's a good doggy. Yeah, that's a nice dog you got there. Now walk right in. Yeah, come on, little doggy. Come on over here with me while I sit on the sofa. Uh, do you live in Harlem? Well, I stays there part of the time. Yeah, well, what business are you in? Well, I kind of semi-retired. Uh, <laughs> and then I hangs around the lodge there called the Mystic Knights of the Sea. Now, about Madam Queen, I want to ask... Did you say that you was a member of the Mystic Knights of the Sea? Yeah, that's right. Do you know a man there by the name of Stephen? Yeah, sure. He's the kingfish. Uh, he's on his way to Grand Canyon right now. Uh, now, about Madam Grand Queen... Grand Canyon? Yeah. Yeah, he likes to get down in a hole and get away from troubles and worries. Oh, yeah, he's probably laying around now in some low spot looking up, wondering what's going to happen to him. <laughs> now, about Madam Queen. Uh, hey, doggy, hey. Hey, hey, come here, come here, come back here. Where are you going, doggy? Come here. Look at that, he wanted to go back at the sofa there. Mm-hmm. Well, Miss Rogers, the reason I come here to see you was that... Must be something back at this sofa he wants. Yeah. Uh, most likely old soup bone. Now, as I was saying, I, I want to uh, come here and see... If, uh, wait, all right, all right. If you want to go back at the sofa, go ahead. I wonder what he's after. Oh, it's nothing. Yeah, you show something didn't crawl under there. Uh, anyway, Miss Rogers, what I want to do is to find out how to... Oh, oh! Uh, uh, by any chance, have you got two dogs in the house yet? <laughs> tell you that... Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Chair. I'm going to see what goes on back there. Let me get this sofa out. <sighs> so, it's you, huh? Just stop by here on the way to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> Kingfish, get out of here. What is you doing here, anyway? Well, now, take it easy. I can explain everything. I wish I knew what it's all about. Yeah. Bruno, quiet. Yeah, start talking, Kingfish. Yeah, well, I can explain everything. I knew you was looking for Madam Queen, and I wanted to help you. You knowed I was going to get some money, and you wanted to help yourself. No, I didn't know nothing about the money. I didn't know nothing about the $600. <laughs> How'd you know it was 600 Well, now, listen, I'm I, I, I going to talk to you like a brother. Nah. We can even get back to that sister stuff. <laughs> now, wait a minute. Wait, talk to me nothing. You get out of here, you big double-crossing, no-good chiseling loafer. Yes, get out like he said. I will not have anyone in this house that is not a gentleman. Get out. Yes, ma'am. Leaving right now. Goodbye. I'm sorry this thing happened. You know, I thought there was something strange when he wanted to hide. I'll not talk to a man of that type. Yeah, I don't blame you. There ain't nothing worse than a low-type man. Now, Miss Rogers, uh, I got your letter addressed to Box 27, and mm. I was awful anxious to get hold of Madam Queen. Mm-hmm. Here's a reporting. Well, you may not know it, but she used to live here. And she used to run a beauty shop right in Trenton. Yeah, that's her, all right. That's her. Of course, I don't know where she is myself. But I know somebody that I positive can tell you right where she is. Oh, that's great. Who is that? Well, the fellow she used to go with, a big bum named Andy Brown. <laughs>
sure to be with us next Friday at this same time when Amos and Andy actually find Madam Queen. Yes, she's back. Be sure to hear Madam Queen with Amos and Andy next Friday night. Our program is broadcast to our armed forces everywhere. This is Harlow Wilcox, and before we say goodnight, one more important word. Save used fat. Who, me? Much too much trouble. Too much trouble? Our fighting men out there are going to a bit of trouble, too. Would you count it too great an effort to help save their lives? For the used fats you save are indispensable in the making of precious sulfur drugs and in the manufacture of armaments. So important are they that the OPA has authorized your dealer to pay you two meat points for each pound of used fats you turn in besides the regular cash price. So do save that fat, every drop, and rush it to your butcher. Thanks. I thought you'd see it that way. Good night. Miss Amos and Andy, Friedman, Gostin, and Charles Carell. That's the two white guys that created Amos and Andy when they originally were called Sam and Henry in Chicago on WGN back in 1920, I think it was 27. But that, you know, I mean, like I said, from 1927 until 1960, Amos and Andy, in some form or another, but mostly as Amos and Andy, ran on radio. And from 51, no, 50 to 52, it ran for two years on television. And obviously they couldn't do any blackface on television at that time. And so they did get some actors to play that, and we'll get into that eventually on one of these shows. We devote a show to Amos Andy. But that, the whole thing, like I said about the Amos Andy show, the concepts that were put on that show are still in use today. And keep that in mind. And everything, situation comedies, dramas, even something as silly as, um, I know some people get mad, you're calling it silly, but Empire, some of the elements on there come out of Amos and Andy. It's just, you know, it's amazing what you see when you listen to Amos and Andy and listen to some of the old radio shows and look at something that's new and say, well, nothing's really changed. I mean, obviously you don't have white actors doing these black roles, but then again, you have the same storylines. It's just, it's just amazing. I would recommend anyone to understand. The, I would say one of the things, if you want to really understand the history of the country, one of the main things you should do is really listen to and study the radio show when it became a television show, Amos and Andy, and the fascination in this country from the 20s through the 60s with that show. And I argue, I know a lot of people say it's not politically correct, but the fact is I believe that show should be brought back. The old rerun should be shown again somewhere on, on cable because it's shown on the Internet anyway. And, you know, I got like 70 other show, of the shows that I got online many years ago, bought it, you know, bought it at one of these sites. and So it's out there, but I think the public should... There should be a special, just a, you know, documentary on that show. And there was one that was done by the great uh, comedian, the late great comedian uh, George Kirby. That was done in like eighty, I think like eighty two, eighty three. But there's a time, there's a need for another one of those. That's been over thirty years ago to fully understand the 
impact that Amos and Andy had and still has on this country, believe it or not, and around the world, as a matter of fact. You know, in fact, you know, for instance, they said that um, everything would stop when Amos and Andy was on and during the Depression era in particular, in the late 20s and 30s, that everything would stop. So people could listen at 7.30. They came on a Tuesdays back then. They would listen to Amos and Andy, and they said that movie, you know, movies, you would go to a movie, a movie would be starting at 7.30, though. They would stop the film and bring out a radio so people could hear Amos and Andy. Then they'd start the film up again because, they, you know, that's how important that show was. They said you could go walking in the street, down a sidewalk, and you would hear Amos and Andy coming out of everyone's home. Very important show. Very, you know, just for you know, that purposely forgotten, purposely forgotten. But I'm going to do a whole show dedicated to Amos and Andy in the future on the Root and Root show. I hope you enjoyed that. I know some of you probably, like I said earlier, probably like offended by it, but it's part of the history. It's part of the history. It's part of the roots of this history, in particular entertainment and sociology. And you just name everything with that show. Well, we're going to get to some music now, and I'm going to do, since we're talking about stereotypes, and says, I'm going to play, and I played this a couple of weeks ago, Black Violin, this is a new one, this is called Stereotypes, so let's hear that on the Root and Root Show.
clear. Mine is really easy. My number one stereotype, just because I'm six foot two, 260 pounds, doesn't mean you're supposed to be afraid of me. I feel like when I walk into an elevator and there's like four or five, you know, different other people in there, they're thinking, hmm, let's see what this guy's going to do. Let me like double check. Maybe they're not afraid, but they're on notice. In a way, it's like, you know, where in one sense, I wish that it didn't exist and I wish that I didn't sense, you know, that they were threatened just by my presence without even knowing who I am. Um, although I wish that it didn't exist, I'm, I'm kind of glad for it because now it gives me like a goal or gives me something to like try to debunk and like the reason I smile on stage is because I know I'm completely crushing people's perceptions of not only what um, what a violin can do or what music could possibly sound like but also of what a black man is capable of capable of Violin and stereotypes. Hope you enjoyed that on the Root and Root show. I was planning to play another old time radio show, but I'm running out of time here, so I won't be able to do that. And I got some leftovers from my special Halloween show, if you want to call it that. The last two shows I did were like scary old time radio shows. So I'm going to just play this one. This is uh, Bill Buchanan and Beware. This is from the 20s. No, I'm sorry, that's from the 20s. It's actually from the Late 30, so let's say that on the Root and Root show. If you don't believe in vampires, turn up the radio. Somewhere in this town right now is one that you might know. He looks and acts like a teenage boy, he even goes to school. Have you ever thought your boyfriend might be a teenage ghoul? You can call him up any old time. Transylvania 4, 5, 7, 8, 9. When your boyfriend takes you out at night, what does he like to do? Go to dark and scary places, or see a monster show or two? Does he seem to like the moonlight? Does he kiss you on the neck? Why does he say you're his forever? You'd better check your neck. Pennsylvania 4, 5, 7, 8, 9. Perhaps you're sitting home alone. Then where is he tonight? Is he really where he said he'd be? Or taking his midnight flight? Now I don't want to frighten you, but look behind your chair. You must have left the window open. Something's moving over there. He's coming closer. Can you reach the telephone in time? What's that? You say someone cut the line? 
Soon and later, when you're alone, the scream you hear may be your own. Permit me to introduce myself. I'm Count Dracula. Good evening. What's happening? What it is? What it look like? Get down. The night was dark. A gray mist filled the air. A coffin stained with blood was lying there. A hand reached slowly out, then pushed the lid. And Dracula rose from where he hid. Few knew the evil life that he had led. This prince of darkness ruled the living dead.
Thank you. 